Hey everyone, Philip here. Um, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to the episode we just finished recording and uploading, which is all about Santa versus physics, um, which was a real fun one if you hadn't listened to it. Uh, I encourage you to go check it out. It was, it was a particularly fun one. Uh, we All three of us really enjoyed uh, making that. And uh, since this is our holiday show and it's holiday time and gift giving and all that kind of stuff, I thought it'd be fun to um, give all of you listeners um, a little extra treat that you don't normally get. Um, for our Patreon supporters, um, we always record an extended episode. We have a discussion which we record after the show. Usually it goes for about 15, 20 minutes. We continue talking about... Um, whatever the subject of the, the main episode was. And sometimes we go off into some deeper themes or some more lighthearted themes, as the case may be. Um, I also love to hear from Matt and Gabby what's going on in their professional lives. We hear little stories about life, Gabby's life in the laboratory and uh, Matt's life uh, diving into the history of science and um, teaching at uh, NYU and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and occasionally I drop in some of my own tidbits, if they're worthy. Um, but uh, these are always really fun, and uh, I thought it just so happens also that this week's um, uh, extended episode, which uh, one of, I, I had been calling it the after show or the post show, I had many names for it, until one of our wonderful listeners suggested the name Beyond the If. So our Patreon bonus extended episodes are now called Beyond the If, and uh, again, this week was super fun, so I thought I'd... Uh, uh, Share it with all of you so you can enjoy it and get a sense of uh, what it is, what, what, what are the kind of things that uh, you get only as a Patreon supporter, usually. Um, so if you haven't checked out Patreon, uh, our Patreon membership program, I encourage you to do so. You just go to patreon.com slash what the if. And uh, we have all kinds of levels you can join at, beginning at very affordable levels. And uh, uh, for each level increasing up the tiers, you get more and more gifts uh, rewards for being a super iffer uh, by supporting us through Patreon, which is enormously helpful to us and helps us keep the show going and growing. So you get all kinds of things like uh, kitchen wares, uh, mugs, hoodies, t-shirts, stickers, lots of fun stuff there. And uh, we're going to have some more things coming also soon. So uh, patreon.com slash what the if. And again, I hope you're all having a wonderful holiday season. Um, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful new year. And here's a little sample of uh, what you get, uh, usually only exclusively for Patreon supporters, a little taste of Beyond the If. We just finished recording our uh, Santa physics uh, episode, What If Santa Had to um, Obey by the Laws of Physics. Um, I do love the expression, Matt, I'm sure you're familiar with it, um, but uh, there's a wonderful series on uh, YouTube um, made by uh, Don Lincoln. Do you know who Don Lincoln oh, is? Oh, the at, animator? Uh, Fermilab. Yeah. No, oh, no, he's, okay. he's a physicist at uh, uh, Fermilab. And uh, anyway, just a wonderful series on physics every week. And he always ends every episode by saying, and remember, physics is everything. Whoa. I just thought that was cool. Um, however, biology, that's a, that's a bit of a, mm, how does a biologist take I mean, that? physics is, is that, everything, but also it's yeah. just kind of happening. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just sort of Whether always. Whether you like it or not. Yeah, yeah. it's just always happening. Biology is, is weird. It's, I, you know, I've said this many times. 
it's a wet science. Uh, it defies a lot of the nice yeah. stringent rules of physics, uh, which is why I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I don't have to do that much math. Oh, interesting. You don't have to do as much math in biology. I guess there are areas of biology yeah, where they do Yeah, and there it. are biophysicists. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but it's funny when you meet right. one. Uh, well, I met like a theoretical like biophysics guy. And it was also like weird because uh. I'm just like, just do an experiment. Um, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, but it could work like yeah. this. I was like, yeah, test it. <laughs> and it's just like two very crazy talk. different ways of going. Like, not to say that that doesn't have value; it really does. Um, but it's just like two very different yeah. modes of interrogating the world. <laughs> That's funny. Um, uh, I'm curious, actually, since you since you both grew up with Santa. Like I said, Santa didn't come into my life until I was 14 or something, when I was already jaded about everything. Um, I mean, I was even, pr I was pretty sure R2-D2 wasn't real. I wasn't 100% <laughs> concerned about that, but I was pretty sure. I knew C-3PO was bogus. I was definitely a man in there. R2-D2, I didn't know how they did that. But um, um, but you grew up with Santa, and and then you both wound up in science, and uh, as well as history for Matt, and um, both of which are rigorous um, endeavors. At, did you go through a period, what, what was that transition like? Did you go through a period of rebellion against storytelling or other rituals or or was it sort of like no um, yeah. i don't know i guess i might have had a, a yeah probably high school early college i was probably um a little surly about such things um <laughs> but certainly now mm -hmm. i've come around to the the realization that actually very little of human existence is rigorously tested and vetted <laughs> that way oh, and and it's actually not very helpful to try and pretend that it is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, you know, our daily lived experience is generally not governed by scientific rigor and trying to pretend um, that it is actually makes you kind of miserable. I don't know. Gabby, yeah. I don't no, know I agree. I that. agree. I feel like everybody kind of, because yeah. not even sci not even as a scientist now, like, I mean, this like, I feel like almost every like high schooler goes through like the too edgy, like, I'm not going to go by emotion. I'm going to be logical. <laughs> Um, and you get older and you realize that's bogus. Um, and I think like, you know, I never really had any rebellion against like story or anything like that. Cause I've always been, I think I've definitely mentioned this like deeply superstitious and they have always existed mm. in the same sphere that I can both interrogate the natural world mm. and totally accept in my worldview that there are going to be things that I cannot explain or that just feel remarkably yeah. serendipitous and I have totally leaned into whatever human magical thinking I have. Because um, I think humans have been people for longer than we've had science. And so um, mm -hmm. we're, we're bound to be a little superstitious and not rational. And like, I think that that's just part of the human experience. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, uh, Amir Axel, who sadly is no longer with us, but he was a great, uh, he had yeah. been a mathematician and then he became a, gr a great writer, a very prolific writer, mm -hmm. award-winning writer, including, um, I believe Fermat's Last Theorem was his most famous book. And he also wrote about Einstein, which is how I got to know his work, but also got to meet him many times and got to know him quite well um, before he passed away a number of years ago. But uh, I remember him telling me that um, he, uh, he, he had born, he was from Israel, so he was born Jewish, so he grew up you know, in religion. He, he was definitely not orthodox, I don't think, anything. But anyway, he was in religion. But then he grew up and then he became a scientist, a mathematician, and was not religious. And then he said, uh, by the time I'm speaking to him, he was probably in his 
50s or early 60s. And he said, uh, he said the more he studied mathematician, more, more he studied mathematics, the more religious he became. <laughs> like he said, when you start diving into infinity, for instance, and other things, you know, which it's like I can see it. It's one thing to just imagine concepts like infinity and just say uh, God is infinite or the world is infinite or the universe is infinite. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, I can actually calculate yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I can, not only that, I can prove it. I can prove it exists. What am I supposed to do with this? You know, I'll, I'll actually um, say like just kind of building off of that in a way that does jive with like my yeah. worldview as a, as a biologist. Biology is so weird. I don't, I'm not, mm. you know, I'm not really necessarily a creationist. Like I don't really think any of this was made with a design, but in jiving yeah. with the fact that I am deeply like superstitious, hand wavy, spiritual, it it is amazing that this exists at all. So like there is a perspective yeah. shift in like, who I have chosen to be as an adult person, knowing that like all of biology can't be taken for granted. Um, yeah, yeah, so it, yeah. it is kind it kind of a shift of like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to complain about like, I don't know, human knees aren't built right. Or just like, you know, stupid things are like, <laughs> oh, who designed the human back? Um, but yeah. yeah, it does. It does kind of shape your worldview a little bit to be able to like interrogate your existence a little, I think, on a level. Yeah, that's right. And that was, you know, Sagan's point about this kind of stuff mm. is you can have awe and reverence for the complexity and amazingness mm. and uniqueness of, of our existence without devolving into, you know, supernaturalism or fundamentalism or something like that. Mm. Like this mm. this world mm. is an extraordinary place and that and it's okay to it's okay to have those moments of reverence and sublimity. Um, and you know, he would say it would actually be kind of a waste if you didn't, right? I mean, you spend mm -hmm. your days manipulating mm -hmm. the micro world. Um, every now and then you should stop and be like, holy crap, yeah. <laughs> what, did, what yeah. did I yeah. just do? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I think I mentioned in the show that we just recorded, um, how, yeah, a friend of mine is a technology journalist, Tom Merritt, and he has his, a show called DTNS, Daily Tech News Show. But sometimes he does longer series. So he he did started doing a documentary series about the history of technology, and he did like a half hour series on the mouse and sort of the very very first inventions of computers. Um, in fact, Matt, you may be familiar with uh, you've heard of the mother of all demos. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. right. So there was this one engineer um, who uh, presented this demo back in the '60s, I think, where he said, "Well, here's a mouse, here's a screen, here's some text. You can click on these words." He basically demonstrated all the whole computer hardware that we would have and the internet and everything back in the early 60s. Anyway, um, so he made this documentary for his hard, for Tom made this for his hardcore technology audience. And um, which includes some people like me who are not really, I guess I wouldn't say hardcore, more general public. Like I think of our audience for what they have, it's kind of general public. And so I loved it and, it and it was a beautifully produced show. It was like a This American Life radio episode. It had music and narration and you heard sound clips from the past and all that kind of stuff. But he said all the really hardcore tech listeners complained and they said, why is there music in this? <laughs> and uh, it drove them crazy. We just want information, just information. And uh, you're wasting time. They, where, you, where we listened to 10 seconds of music, we could have been having more information. And um, it reminded me when I worked at uh, ABC News and, and some other little bit more uh, ideological uh, documentary companies. They would also, absolutely no music, no music is allowed. And there's a relationship to science and scientists there in, set, in, in the sense that among certain people, there's a fear of emotion. Mm, yeah. That the emotion actually messes 
with the thing or the emotion is manipulation that somehow with no music and no emotion, you're being totally objective. And I think that was what was so revolutionary maybe about Cosmos, the show that it had beautiful music and beautiful photography mm -hmm. and animation and really stirred your emotions very much. And as well as his, uh, Sagan's poetry, you know, poetic mm -hmm. style of writing. Um, do you, Gabby, do you ever encounter that sort of clash with emotion? I, I often think that's why the tone of scientific papers are the way they are. Yeah, I mean, so so in science, you never want to oversell what you have. So there is a certain, like, you just mm -hmm. want to give somebody the facts. But it is interesting when you do actually yeah. see it creep in. And so sometimes it's usually not in our field as much, but there are plenty of ecology papers where the end discussion is like, if you're studying a, an animal whose climate is, who's, who's being decimated by climate change, whose environment is shrinking, sometimes you'll see in the end of those papers, they're like, the scientist is kind of holding it together a little bit of like, you uh, should care. Somebody should care. Uh, um, but yeah, so, uh, sometimes you yeah. get that. But I think too, it's like, it's only in the presentation of information, not necessarily in the experience of being a scientist. Like, I think very few people mm -hmm. in science are like as cold as you like might think based on the papers or like based on like, I don't know, fiction or whatever. Like most scientists are regular people. It's just the science turns on when they find something cool and they're like, how do I poke at it in order to learn something? Um, and like, yeah. that's when you get, you know, stupidly methodical game nights that are very fun, but it's like somebody planned this. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, yeah. that's a really important uh, distinction, right? Is that things like scientific papers and textbooks, um, intentionally do not replicate the experience of doing science, right? So there's a oh. really big divorce between um, what it feels like to do and then how you report it to everybody else. Um, and that's a huge problem. And it's a good thing. No, no, well, I should say it's seen as a good thing because that makes everything mm -hmm. look more objective. But that actually right. has the function of driving out lots of smart people from the science pipeline. Um, and we have like data in interviews on this. So in particular, um, it happens to young women um, who go to college mm -hmm. wanting to be science majors, and then they take these fantastically dull classes and they say, well, this doesn't seem to connect to my life or the kind of person I want to be at all. So I'm going to go do something else. Um, huh. And then it isn't until grad school that like you're led into the secrets of like, okay, this is the weird stuff. These are the, okay. now that you've suffered enough, we can tell you what it's okay, actually is it like. Is it that the women are more put off by the dullness? Well, it's, I mean, I mean dullness is probably not the right, the right word. Because I, I will say that I, I also yeah. was, that was a huge difference yeah. for me. I mean, I think one reason I gravitated towards the arts mm -hmm. was because I loved the science, but it was so, like, a, yeah, it's a lack of human connection and, you know, emotional registry mm -hmm. and connection to other living people and, and like what our lives yeah. are actually yeah. like. Also, science, um, <laughs> it's, it's harder if you're not a dude. Not like doing science is harder. And that's a whole other Being thing. Being in academia yeah. is harder. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, Zoe's been a science major for exactly one semester, and she already has a whole bag of stories about how shitty it is. Being no way. A, a woman. But impressively, yeah. a science oh, paper. So go, girl. <laughs> I, I love that for her. Right. Yeah, we didn't get to that. Mm -hmm. Matt. Yeah. Tell, tell, oh, me, yeah, as so a proud father. My, my daughter Zoe um, published her first science paper uh, in science of all places. Um, so she's helping cure cancer um, at age 18. Context mm -hmm. for people who are in the audience who 
don't know what a science paper means. There are three oh. top <laughs> journals for, for well, I'll just say two. But the third one is like kind of my field specific, but there's like two like top journals for all of science. And that is science and that is nature. And science is like the big one. Like I, I just read science as a magazine when I need to know what's going on in mm. science. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's a yeah. big deal because that paper was considered impactful enough to be witnessed by everybody in every field everybody. and to be part of what we consider like the pinnacle of modern science. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like the New York times or the wall street journal of. Yeah, that's right. These are paper. the things that uh, the things get published in science because like Gabby said, the editorial board feels every, everybody doing science needs to know about this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she, and you say curing cancer, but that wasn't a joke. It literally is about, uh, treating cancer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And hopefully we'll get her on to talk about what it was specifically, but, but just tell us what, what was the, uh, Oh, they, they have a title or a tagline? Well, they here, the, the title is A Non-Canonical IRAC-4 IRAC-1 Pathway Counters DNA Damaged Induced Apoptosis Independently of TLR-IL-1R Signaling. Um, the important bit of that is... Um, that was fantastic, by the way. Whatever that was. <laughs> I don't know what, not, not a single syllable there connected <laughs> to the others. Um, the important word there is um, apoptosis, which can be the, uh, the word for the day. Um, and that's when cells die um, for various reasons. So the problem, if you want to um, get rid of cancer, you try to get cancer cells to um, die when stimulated in a particular way, say if you give them radiation or chemotherapy or something like that. And they tend to fight back and and escape those, um, those treatment methods uh, that try to kill them. So this is a method by which you can um, get cancer cells to not resist radiation treatment, but to die when asked nicely. Um, so that's what it's about. <laughs> That's funny. Now, is it is she is she in a particular lab? Like uh, this was this part paper? of research she did at a lab up in Mount Sinai um, uh, here in the city over the summer. Uh, so wow, they are fantastic. still going on. So uh, props to Dr. Samuel Seedy and his lab for taking on um, young people in his lab. Yeah, right on, right on, right on. Um, uh, Lastly, I think we could wrap up with it. I have an interesting question for you, Matt, because uh, as Matt and I, as I've often said, met because of Einstein. Um, not person, not Einstein personally, unfortunately. <laughs> that would be cool. But I'm sure he would have. I'm sure he would have connected us. You know, Matt, you should see this guy. Um, but uh, um, we worked on a documentary about Einstein for the History Channel once. And um, when I tell people I worked on a thing about Einstein or whatever, um, very often the very first question I get, and I'm still surprised by this. They want to know, people want to know, not really scientists so much, but, uh, you know, people want to know, did he believe in God? Uh, Do you get that question a lot? Uh, I get it a like, lot, and I also bring it up yeah. a lot um, because it's oh, an uh -huh. interesting thing. So, yeah. um, so what is the answer? Well, it's actually a little complicated. So what happens is many years ago, so since Einstein was so famous, um, like every whistle stop town he would go through, the reporters would be like, Professor Einstein, what do you think about jazz? Professor Einstein, what do you think about modern <laughs> art? They would just ask him stuff about everything. And one of these places, right. somebody says, Professor Einstein, do you believe in God? And he says, yes. 
um, and then gets on with his life and it gets reported. And then one of Einstein's friends writes to him and be like, Albert, what's the deal? I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know you're religious. And Einstein was like, well, they're not reporting it quite right. He says, what I mean when I say I believe in God is I have awe for the reverence of the universe. Um, and in particular, he, he references this early modern Jewish thinker, um, Baruch Spinoza, um, who said, you know, when, when we, when we say God, we should mean the fact that the universe is comprehensible and that we are one with it and we have some access to it. Um, so it's what Einstein comes to call later his cosmic religious feeling that when you sit down with the equations, um, and see the comprehensibility and orderliness of the universe, that's an extraordinary thing. And he says, that's a religious feeling. That's what I mean when I say I believe in God. Um, yeah. And he writes about this uh, a fair bit. So it's this, so Einstein's weird in that, well, for lots of reasons, but in this particular <laughs> case, because both religious believers and atheists both want to claim him as their own. Um, and there's a sense in which yeah. they're justified in doing so. But he says, you know, there's no personal God. There's no dude with a white beard up there in heaven judging you. Um, and that's a mistake. But he says, you can't dismiss this religious feeling. He says, that's the deepest thing right. that human beings have. Right. In fact, I would say his equation specifically rules out guy with white beard. Uh, yeah, it's a little known corollary to the calculation. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the no white beard theorem. Yeah. yeah, the G with a slash through it. No, just ahead, a, I think that what Matt said is like very that like Einstein's feelings are kind of echoed among a lot of scientists I've talked to. That it's, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. But yeah, cool. Um, do you have a um, Gabby? Do you have a, a wish for um, for our Patreon supporters? As we come in, well, a New Year's wish or words of wisdom or warning. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's words of wisdom or warning, uh, but I feel like one, Happy New Year. I hope 2024 is even better than 2023. Um, and keep being curious. That's, I think, my, yeah. my wish mm -hmm. for 2024. That's very good. That's good. Very good. Okay. Matt, how about yeah, you? Yeah, keep being curious, Bye. and thanks for helping us indulge everybody else's curiosity. Um, right, the the three of us would not be here talking about Santa wormholes um, uh, if not for your support, and and we really appreciate it. Yep, yep, yep. Thank you uh, for me as well, for everyone, for uh, all your support, um, just through Patreon, and also just with keeping in touch with us and sending us ideas and sending us suggestions. Uh, and notes and thoughts and all that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, thank all of you for listening. I'm going to give just, I did it on the show, but I also want to give a shout out here to some of our Patreon supporters, Bill, Bill, who wrote in his wonderful idea for this week. Uh, Sean, Tasha, Connie, Dan. Uh, by the way, Dan, speaking of cookies, I think Dan has a, Dan has a cookie company, mm. um, which is fantastic. Uh, Noah, Yana, Guy, Marsha and Frank, always there from Cincinnati. Ahmed, Holly, Don, Ken, Will, and all the other people supporting us on Patreon. Thank you all. Hope you had a wonderful holiday. Um, and uh, have a great new year. And we'll see you next year.